Bobby's coming to the break. The throw to Farrah. He steals it. Swung on and missed the perfect game. You can put it on the board. Yes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the brand new episode, week number three of the baseball season of High Heater Podcast here on the Unhinged Sports Network. If you guys haven't figured out what we are by now, I mean, it's been two weeks. Come on now. We are a baseball MLB talk show. We have a collaboration amongst all the Unhinged Sports Network shows. And right now, our our, our crew is made up of three, normally four shows. Mitch is actually at a Chicago White Sox game, so he won't be he won't be joining us today. But we have Jim Mounier from the J-Dash show. And then also Jimmy Pilato from the far end of the bench joining us today. And I want to start here with Jimmy. Jimmy, welcome back in. How's everything been going? And uh, we do have some Yankees talk to talk about today. Yeah. No, the Yankees have been a lot more disappointing than I was expecting coming into the season. And that doesn't bode well for me because my other team is the Rockies. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm excited to be back. It's just Kelsey and a couple of gyms now. So let's yeah. see what happens. I'm not prepared for this because i got to keep you guys separated, uh, you know, make sure we don't get too much uh, Red Sox-Yankees hate going on in this episode. I might have to let you guys go if it gets too crazy. We'll just let you guys go for 15 minutes straight. But, uh, no, Jimmy, we like I said, the Yankees have been – they've been in the news all this last week. Obviously, the first thing being trading for Ruffin or Door from the from the Rangers, who by the way looks like a completely different man once he had to get completely shaven, clean shaven like yeah. the Yankees do. I would have fought him if he was completely shaven. If I was in Jose Batista's shoes and I saw a completely shaven guy, oh yeah, I'd definitely go toe to toe with him. No doubt. And then on top of that, they send Domingo Domingo Herman back to AAA, leaving room open for a potential uh, coming up of Davy Garcia, who by the way won. Most outstanding rookie in spring training, and that's a potential uh, person coming up. And as you mentioned, the the Rockies, Trevor Story potentially being linked to the Yankees for one Glaber Torres. So, yeah. been a lot in the news so far. But which one, which one of these storylines do you think will best play out for the Yankees for the rest of the season? What I would most want to see is is if you're able to call somebody up and prove that your farm system, your most outstanding rookie in your farm system is going to be able to compete for you and be that consistent contributor, that would be option one. Option two, I wouldn't mind giving up Glaber Torres for Trevor Story because that middle infield and, and it adds another bat to the lineup that's not just a home run bat. Like we said last week, the Yankees' downfall is going to be the fact that they can't win close games by small ball. If, you, if they're in a one-run game, hopefully somebody can get walked, and then hopefully the next guy can hit a home run and get everybody home. Otherwise, they're not good. So those are my top two. Uh, I think that it, mainly if you can prove that your farm system is where we think it is as the New York Yankees because they do carry a stigma of mm-hmm. just excellence and, and everything like that. I know, Jim, I know. You're not too happy about, about me using the E word around with the Yankees, but that's that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for – the rookie to come up and step in because if we don't have to get story we that would probably be best but we'll, we'll see what happens yeah definitely and as you mentioned you know uh shots shots already sent across the bow if you will uh towards towards jim i normally have mitch here to fill in the gap but unfortunately he's he's not here he's at a white Sox game um so we won't be talking to him this week about the white Sox game but we will get a, get to talk to him next week about it but then straight over to the red Sox fan jim again I, I don't know what to say about the Red Sox. That opening weekend was absolutely atrocious. You get swept by the lowly Orioles, if you will. Um, but they came back with a vengeance this week. 
and they haven't lost a game. Obviously, it's only been against the Rays and, again, the Orioles. They're going for the sweep tonight as we're recording this. Um, but, yeah, it's, they, they look like a team that you might consider to finish above 500 after the end of the season. Well, first off, you have to put something ahead of the Red Sox name. It's the first time we can say since 2018 we are the first place Boston Red Sox of the ALE. So I don't know how it feels being down last place in the division at this moment, but it feels good being on top right now. But uh, yeah, they've been playing pretty good besides the three game sweep against Baltimore. And so far these two games against Baltimore now, They've been the complete opposite. It's the pitching, the starting pitching for the Red Sox has impressed me. Besides Garrett Richards, but everyone else has been very impressive for me so far. Yeah. And you talk about starting pitching, but also this, the bats. The bats have been getting going. I yeah. mean, they've, they've been averaging six runs a game since mm-hmm. getting swept against the Orioles. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty uh, impressive to begin with. Uh, and, of course, one of the most underrated DH is, is on fire right now, and that's J.D. Martinez. The guy's hitting a home run every single game. He's had now 11 straight games, and his 11 continuous straight games of having two hits or multi-bag hits in his career. So that's pretty impressive, especially when so far the first three games he was basically a no-show until the second game, but the offense is all around him. Devers is hitting great. Um, and the guys who have been surprising me has been Mario Gonzalez and Cordora and Verdugo. And they've been kicking. And I've always said that Alex Cora, for some odd reason, makes this team play better. And this is basically the same team as last year, but this year's team can kill last year's team. Um, and so far, where, where everything's going in the division, uh, I take it right now and get as many wins as you can in the first half so we don't have a uh, – a very competitive so we have a very competitive race in October so that's September but right now they're playing like that division division title slash wildcard team but still we're only in week two but so far it's you know it's it's happy me and Carlos my co-host of the Jade Dash show have a 12 beer pack challenge and um if the results happen today if, if they currently stand it would be 3-3 so I he swept me I swept him, so we still got 13 more games left in the series. So, yeah, it's, it entertains a good week, but we got a stretch. We got White Sox, Twins, Yankees, and I want to say Angels the next four series. So it's going to get a little tougher for the Red Sox from here on out. Yeah, and uh, so one thing I got to say, speaking of tough uh, um, and, and not looking good, uh, they released those City Connect jerseys, and we've talked about these off air, and obviously they're meant to represent the Boston Marathon, but can we just talk about how – just god awful atrocious these look on the ball field because they do not look good. I don't know what I, they I, were thinking, but this is, does not look good on the field. I know what they're going for, and a lot of Boston fans, especially WEI and 985 Sports Hub and Nessa and all the news people up there, they love it. They're, they're pushing, like, you got to love it. But I've seen a lot of Red Sox diehards are like, we are the Boston Red Sox, we are not the UCLA Bruins. Because yeah. those, when I first saw those jerseys, I'm like, UCLA Bruins. I'm like, we know we gave the Mookie bets, but come on, we don't have to adapt their college colors. Um, but I, I like, I know what they're trying to get that. I know what they're trying to resemble with Boston and the Boston Marathon, and it's cool. I love the story. I love what they're trying to do, but um, it, do something like what the NBA did with the city jerseys something else that represents the city of Boston. There's a lot of other things there besides the marathon. I just, we're going to wear them for three games. I think against the twins, I think when they come into Boston 
and it's gonna be basically gonna be looking like the Minnesota Twins versus the UCLA Bruins. I'm like, it's it doesn't look like a Boston uniform. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. It was pretty bad, uh, Jimmy. I just got to get your opinion on those jerseys, man. Those City Connect jerseys. The, the and obviously you're not you're not a Red Sox fan, but I think it's safe to say the normal Red Sox jerseys are fine. Those are classics. But yeah, <laughs> classic, easy, simple. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> some Connect, some. Though. Somebody got a little bit overambitious out there in Southie, and there's like, you know what? Baby blue. That's what we need. That's what we need. What? Why? No, we just we wear red socks across our chest. That's it. It's ugly. It's fine. It's good, but it's consistently ugly. It's fine. But no, <laughs> the change up, the change up was, you know, it's a little bit out there. I'd say that they uh, overdid it, in my opinion. Yeah, they could have done done many things differently. They could have gone maybe pay homage to the Green Monster, maybe Boston Tea Party, take your pick. Literally anything other than bright yellow, canary yellow, and baby blue on your uh, – it just doesn't make sense to me. Besides the Boston Marathon, those color combinations are nowhere near Boston. Like the Patriots are red, white, and blue. The Bruins are you know black and gold, and the Celtics are green and white and occasionally gray, but – yeah. yeah, they could they could have done a green jersey. They could have done a black and yellow they jersey. One. They have, that's one of their alternate jerseys. They, they wear all of those are better options. Yeah. Better options. Yeah. Anyways, we're gonna move forward. We're gonna take it right around to the horn. Presented by Fanatics for some of the other news stories that went around this last week. Um, and if you guys haven't heard, we obviously talked about it a lot last week. Our, the All Star Game being moved from Atlanta. We were all talking about where we where it was gonna go. And despite all of our calls to keep it kind of somewhere still relating to the Negro League history because that is something they'll be celebrating at the All-Star Game. It has been moved to the home run derby capital of the world, Coors Field. Um, you can literally throw a golf ball in the air, and it will get end up as a home run at some points in time. So is this a good move for the for the MLB? I mean, obviously, you take it away from Atlanta for, for valid reasons. I mean, you finally get involved in, in, type, in something social injustice reasonings, and then you send it to Colorado of all places. Like, no offense to Colorado, but... Not the most cutting edge when it comes to, hey, we took it away from you for social injustice reasons. Let's go put it in Colorado. Eh. I mean, let's be honest. There could have been better options there. But is that is that really, like, in your guys' opinion, is this a good move or is this just trying to take advantage of the conditions that Coors Field brings for the All-Star game? And, uh, Jim, I want to start with you on this one. I think – I'm not taking a shot at the city of Denver. I'm not going to take a shot at Colorado. But – you move the game from color from Atlanta to Colorado over voting situations and social justice to a state that has stricter rules than Atlanta, than Georgia for voting. Um, and you go to a state that has the lowest population of African-Americans and minorities in the United States. I was stunned by the move. Now the ballpark, fuck, it's going to be awesome. You know, pop-up home run. It's going to be like Yankee Stadium, but in the Rockies. I don't like the move because whatever they did to get it out of Georgia, they basically just backed themselves into another situation. Like, they just did this because they feel woke. And I think they're sending a double message that's not, you know, right, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but the field, last, what was the last All-Star break team there? Um, game there like in 2005 or 2006 i want to say it was in the 90s like right after the ballpark was built yeah they know they've they've held it there before they've held major events there so i understand why the mlb did that 
but you're missing out on opportunity to go to the cities that have culture for Negro leagues, Chicago, New York, uh, Kansas city, and you go to Colorado. So it's, I didn't like the move, but I understand why they're going there. Um, it just, it's just strange is how this is just all based on political stuff. And yet they support one thing then backstab what they were supporting and go to another city that literally does exactly what the other state is doing. Um, so it's, I understand by the sport, it's going to be great home runs. Like a pop-up's going to be gone no matter what in that field. It's like, it's awesome. I don't understand why simple flyouts are gone in course field. Uh, I know it's because it's a mile high, but yeah, I would have really love to see in Chicago. I would have really love to see in Yankee and New York. Um, even in Kansas City and San Francisco or L.A. Um, but I just think that the league contradicted itself going to Colorado. That's my opinion. But I, I, I'll enjoy the home run derby. Give me 16 guys hitting 70 round, you know, 70 home runs each round in the, in the home run derby. It's going to be awesome. Just hopefully they don't get any more of the Red Sox. Every time a guy from Boston goes, he forgets how to hit home runs after it. So, um, yeah, so I'm still iffy, iffy on the thing unless MLB does something that makes me really go, okay, I see why they did it. But right now they just oh, we're moving into Colorado and no explanation after that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll am i look forward to it, but I still have the belief. It's just it, – you send a message, keep to that message. Don't back away from it and act like, oh, we just moved here because Coors is a nice field. So – uh, we the Manfred is the worst commissioner in, the, in sports. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> to, to be fair, I will say this before I, I send it over to Jimmy, who is actually in the Denver area. So uh, reports have come out because the reason choosing Colorado over a lot of other cities is it can be a fully packed Coors Field. They can sell the most tickets and financial reasons. This is this is the reasoning behind it. Which okay, fair enough. But Houston, Texas. Yeah, uh, you. There's a lot of other options out there as well that could have hosted that. Have State floor next week. Uh, but 98 was the last last uh, All Star game in Coorsville. That was in the night 2000s. Wow. It was. Uh, if you guys remember the old Ken Griffey Jr. home run uh, home run game, that was. Uh, that, that was, was Coors. The, that was Coorsville that year. So okay, that is what at least that the was. kids showed. Yep. Uh, so Jimmy, obviously you are in the Denver Denver area. So this one hits a little close to home with you being there. It's, it brings a whole lot of revenue into the Denver area. From your point of view, being a Denver resident, is this a good move or is this just purely a financial numbers move? Uh, it's surprising to me. I didn't realize that Colorado had that kind of a reputation to where we – this is one of the more open and liberal states that you can find, and it's – being moved to Denver, which has an African-American mayor. There's going to be, I mean, there's a ton of businesses that are going to do well. So that's, I'm, I'm very happy for the state that way. <clears throat> and, and I do think that it's not lost. It's not going to be lost on the fact of why it's there. Everybody knows that it got moved because of those reasons. And uh, I think that's going to be taken into account. So I, I think that, you know, was, I didn't expect it, wasn't calling for it. I doubt anybody in Colorado really cared that it was going to be there. And then once it showed up, it's like, oh, okay, I'll take this. And, and it's going to be a great event. 
it gives us a chance to kind of get somewhere back to normal. I just went to Coors Field the other night, and it's, you know, for as bad as the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are, which is who I saw play, it was still an exciting atmosphere and everything like that. I, yes, they could have moved it to a different place and maybe had a little bit more overt nature to it. Um, but moving it to Colorado is not like moving it to somewhere where it's the reason that you moved in in the first place is not going to be taken into account. Colorado is very good about this kind of thing. We were very obnoxious in the support. I'm going to use a different word. We were very adamant in the support and, and everything going on during the summer. Um, this is a place where you're going to be able to find a lot of different opinions and it might not be the highest populated city with minorities, but people work to try and help other people in this state. And I think that's one of the reasons I'd like to think that's one of the reasons why Colorado was picked. I do know that it's going to make just a, a, as much money as you can imagine. Manfred's going to have a Scrooge McDuck vault here in, in a little bit. Yeah. 100%. I mean, there's, there's no question in my mind that this, at the end of the day, this is a very safe option to choose Coolersfield, in my opinion, uh, because as you mentioned, it is a very, it seems very neutral because it is a very liberal, very open area. But at the same time, you do have differing opinions in that state all over the place. Um, and it's one of those things also, I hate to say it, but when you consider all the extra benefits of moving it to the state of Colorado, there's a lot of businesses, especially right there in front of uh, the train station coming out or coming yeah. off of. Uh, that you know yeah will Lodo definitely, will definitely Lodo's gonna be booming for as bad as it's probably been in the last year with the pandemic and everything like that there's a, a lot of Lodo for lower downtown I don't know why we decided to make that distinction but there's a lot of like locally owned businesses that are going to be able to possibly come back and everything like that with yeah. this moving there so it's I, I think for that reasons it's a fantastic move I, I mean, obviously, still, I, I kind of wish bringing back in the Negro League history to things. I wish it would have gone somewhere to play into yeah. that. But I get it, and, and and I'm not like totally against it personally. I I think it's a safe move for the MLB, a team who or a corporation at this point who is notorious for making safe moves. So I, I do want to reiterate the fact that none of us were asking for this. This wasn't like everybody in Colorado was like, "Oh, bring it here, bring it here." Everybody heard the announcement, and went, "Oh shit, okay." Yeah. I'll I still remember. It. I still remember Jimmy's message. Hey, you got the Colorado game? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Jimmy, Jimmy, you were one of the bigger proponents for going to like Kansas City as a potential mm -hmm. home. So I mean, that just tells you like you're a Denver resident. You weren't even considering Colorado as a potential option. So that's just that just goes to show you how kind of shocking the move was to to go to Colorado. But at the same time, it's a safe move. I think we can all agree on that. And it'll be a fun home run derby for sure. Do they still keep? the National League American League schedule for all-star games. So no matter what, if they did move it out of Atlanta, it was going to go to an NL city. Usually mm. no. Well, no, that, that rule has been abolished now because next year it's going to Dodger stadium. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so right. I mean like, yeah. So I think that rules is now out of the books. It's no longer NL, AL, NL, AL, NL, AL. I think it's okay. just, yeah, they do. Just, they, they, who knows what Manfred and their decision-making nowadays. Yeah. Um, but speaking of decision-making, we finally had it happen. Somebody said, you know what? Forget advanced statistics. We are going to let our pitcher ride. Joe Musgrove for the Padres, finally throwing the first no-hitter in Padres franchise history. So big nods to him. But also joining him in the, in the record books, his catcher, 
which I found very interesting. This is the first catcher in history, Victor Caratini, who has caught two consecutive no-hitters. Last year, he caught Alec Mills for the Cubs on September 13th. Has not started a game since then and catches Joe Musgrove here. This is, I mean, and Caratini's 27. He's He's been in the league for a couple years, up and down from the minors. Hasn't really found his niche. And his last two games now, two no-hitters caught. I, like, I love the Joe Musgrove story, but let's be honest. When you talk about catchers and receiving a game, they play as much of a part, if not more, in the no-hitter than the pitcher does. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I, I think we can have 51-49, 55-45, that type of percentage towards the catcher being a bigger deal. So in your guys' opinion, and Jimmy, we'll start with you on this. Who is who is the bigger bigger win here? What's more impressive, the catcher catching two consecutive no-hitters or the pitcher, Joe Musgrove, getting the first Padres no-hitter? Uh, I'm going to try and leave my bias out of this because I did play catcher. Um and when I when I played, I was uh, I did that a lot, and it was one of the more fun things when you did start calling your own games, um, and you basically get to control everything. So I think uh, I like the catcher's perspective because depending on how the game's going, you also have to play psychology like mind games with the batters too, because <clears throat> obviously the pressure is going to get to the guy on the mound, and at some point you're going to have to either step in there and go out to the mound and say, hey. We're just playing catch. Just just keep going with it. I'll keep calling pitches. You keep throwing them, and then we'll continue to go. Or maybe uh, you're pulling a Crash Davis from Bull Durham and telling the guy, don't dig in because I don't know where the hell the ball is going. He's, he might throw the next one at your head. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that aspect of it. And the fact that that's your last two starts, I'm starting to feel like that may be his niche. Maybe his niche is figuring out ways to – shut other people down. Maybe he's some sort of savant, like reading a, a quarterback, reading a defense. He's like, you know what? I know exactly where I need to pitch or where I need to call the pitches and where he's going to miss. And we're going to get a no hitter out of this, make this an easy day at the ballpark for everybody. That's crazy. I didn't, didn't realize that that was his last start was another no hitter. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You mentioned that the, the sort of savant side of things because Musgrove and the manager for the Padres both came out and said, flat out that in between innings Caratini was in the dugout pouring over the the next three batters next five batters their statistics and trying to figure out what he needs to call in these situations to get outs and and he and Musgrove even said I did not feel comfortable through the first three and a half innings four and a half innings if it wasn't for Caratini I'd probably give up a couple home runs in that first innings because I leave play, pitches over the plate and so that's a very interesting aspect to this as well as is, is Caratini as you mentioned in the dugout Cold, cold and calculating, if you will, mm-hmm. to figure out what to call and, and how to call it. That's that's one part of the game that you never really see. It's there's baseball is one of the more laid back and relaxed things, but it's a, a lot of men, taking that next step, taking that edge. Basically, nothing other than maybe where the ball gets hit happens by accident. And nowadays, most hitters are good enough to where that's not even by accident. There's very little left to the game of chance in baseball, and that's why. Honestly, I think that's why we have so much of the analytics taking over because everybody's just trying to overthink and overanalyze so much that that's what we're going to do. But it's there's a lot that goes into every single play that happens, and it's not just the one guy on the mound or the one guy at the box. Yeah, definitely. Now, Jim, what about you, man? What is your thought on this one? I mean, Musgrove or, or Caratini, what's more impressive to you, throwing a no-hitter or catching a no-hitter? Uh, catching a no-hitter. 
because you are basically the quarterback of the team. You're the one that's calling the plays, calling the defense. Um, and back to back, no hitters. First time in history. Um, yeah. Uh, can we sign him to a max deal? Cause apparently his ERA is zero. Uh, so you score two runs, you're going to win the game, score a run, you're going to win the game. Um, but well, like Jimmy mentioned about how catchers go in the dugout, if people don't watch baseball, no one talks to the pitcher and the catcher is also by himself. He's do either getting ready to get up there in the bat or he is looking over film. Uh, Christian Vasquez does the iPad thing. So I've seen him do that. And the pitchers, you know, they go chill corner and no one talks to him. Um, but we have to, um, you got to admit that, uh, you know, Musgrove, he had to throw the pitches. He had to be on point. He had to be right. He had to hit those corners. He had to, you know, put the pitches where he needs to for swinger or for swingers. Excuse me. We're not talking about that type of stuff <laughs> for batters to, you know, reach on pitches for, you know, you, you, you look at, these are all professional athletes in the MLB. They're going to hit cheese when they see it. And it's just, the cohesion between the catcher and the pitcher, especially um, Musgrove throwing the correct pitch and Grattini calling the right pitch. That's it's hard to do, especially in major league baseball. If you said he did this in college four times, okay. Yeah, okay. Who did he play in college? Oh, okay. Stanford. I wonder why, um, but this is major league baseball and it's, you know, pretty impressive no matter who it is, no matter if, who the pitcher is or the catcher is. Uh, and, and it's in the nine inning game. We saw it in a nine inning game. So the question is now for you, Kelsey and Jimmy, will we be talking about this if it was for this seven inning double rule thing? Um, but again, this is very impressive. And I actually caught the last four innings on the MLB channel. And the, like I mentioned before, the pressure starts building up in the seventh inning and the eighth inning. Like, oh shit, he has a chance. And we won't get that in seven inning games, but we got there. And, you know, I'm jealous of the Padres. They're freaking loaded. The same as the Dodgers. So, yeah. So, we got to enjoy it. They better win both 100 games. So, I got to, you know, I got to root for the Padres to get the 100 win. So, here we go. Yeah. And, Jimmy, I'll let you take that question about the uh, whether it's a seven-inning game or not if we're, we're talking about it in the same manner. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that there's still a pretty good argument to be made at how difficult that is. Because very rarely do you see seven scoreless innings pitched or anything like that, even in a nine inning game. So I, I think that there's ways that there's pressure in both situations because yes, you have to be able to hold on for an extra couple innings in a nine inning game. Um, but you have a little bit less time to get settled in in the seven inning game. Like it's almost the way I'm thinking about it in a seven inning game. If I come out and I'm not comfortable for three innings, there's a very higher, there's a higher chance that something's going to get hit. Something's going to get through. And I'm going to get rattled a lot easier than if I have nine innings and I go, okay, took a couple times through the rotation and now let's start going. I think the accelerated clock and the fact that nobody's going to be used to that because I don't think anybody's played seven inning games since they were maybe 13. And uh, it's going to be a, I think there's going to be an interesting challenge in both. So I'm, I'll still count it. Same, same reason we count championships from the bubble. It's not like it wasn't still difficult. It's different, but it is still difficult. Yeah, definitely. And now I do just want to give Musgrove his due credit because it's not, we're not saying it wasn't impressive. I mean, he did strike out 10. He only walked one batter, and that was on a hit-by-pitch in the bottom of the fourth, as I mentioned to Joey Gallo. Um, he also struck out 
out of the 10 total batters he faced, so they brought in a pinch hitter for one of the guys, he struck out eight out of the 10 batters during the night. So there's two guys that he didn't strike out. One went 0 for 1 on him, the pinch hitter, and then Tavares went 0 for 3, grounding out in all three appearances. So, I mean, it's not like he was having a bad night by any means, but I definitely agree with you guys where it said Caratini, two straight, like two consecutive no-hitters is just absolutely unheard of, let alone just two 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 no-hitters in back-to-back seasons would be just crazy to hear about. But two no-hitters in back-to-back starts is just, that's just crazy. Um, and who knows? Caratini, he, he obviously catches the ball well. He obviously receives it well. This could, as Jim mentioned, bring him into a potential signing in the offseason that somebody keeps him long-term. Yeah, so. The Yankees, Yankees, come on. We, we need help with our pitching stuff. Get, bring us in a good catcher who can catch a good game. Oh, Gary Sanchez is good. He's working he on it. He doesn't Sanchez catch a great – he, he's much more of a bat than he is a cat, catcher. Yes, that's safe to say. Very safe to say. The only problem is, though, then you have to probably consider getting rid of either Aaron Judge or John Carlos Stanton or Gary Sanchez. Take your pick. One of the three has to go because you can't bat them all at DH. So, yeah, um, that's that's that'd be consideration for the Yankees. Uh, he can always come to San Francisco. Buster Posey's aging out, and he'll be at first base before we know it. Anyways, speaking of injuries, though, this is one, and you mentioned J.D. Martinez earlier, Jim. J.D. Martinez just going on the COVID list for the next 10 days. Um, so he'll oh, he's be off out. the COVID list. Oh, did they just give him? Uh, it was a false positive. Okay, all right, because as of, as of this morning, he was on the COVID list, um, and they were going to be testing him pregame today. But other than him, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger for the Dodgers, Alex Bregman for the Astros, Chris Archer for the Rays, Noah Syndergaard still coming back from Tommy John's, Josh Donaldson out for the Twins, and Colton Wong for the Brewers, amongst countless, countless other guys as well. Out of these names so far, though, which one stands out to you most as the most impactful to their success with the team? As of, Mookie Betts hasn't been faced on the injury list. However, he, is, he has missed four straight starts because of lower back soreness, so that is still on, ongoing. And Jimmy, I'll start with you on this one. Which one of these guys that, that I named off, which one stands out to you as being just the most impactful injury to the success of the team early on? It's hard to say that anybody going down on the Dodgers is going to be that bad because they're basically a shark and can just reform another tooth right as, right as one goes down. They can just implement one right back up. Um, I'm going to say Syndergaard, especially coming off of that Tommy John it's a lot easier to get through now, but we see pitchers sometimes, uh, depending on how they were before that injury, if they were a flamethrower, it's very difficult to get back up there. Even if you go one too far one way or the other as a pitcher after Tommy John surgery, so if you were either a flamethrower or you were a guy that just relied on filthy stuff, that's going to be a, a huge setback, and it takes a long time. It's like 10 months before you can even start throwing a baseball overhand again, and then you got to work up back to – your velocity and then you got to work back into shape of throwing a certain amount of innings so I think that's going to be very difficult especially luckily it's the back to the 162 game season if this was trying to come in with a abbreviated season last year it's probably not even worth mentioning I'd be interested to see if he can come back in in the middle of the season maybe towards the end and, and see if he can help make a late run but that's going to be the one that I think is going to be the most impactful because, like I said, the Dodgers injuries, you know, oh, crap, Boogie Betts went down. We got some stud in AAA that we're going to go ahead and call up for a couple of weeks. And then once uh, Mookie's back, we'll we'll go ahead and send him back down. That's 
uh, I could see, you know, I complain about the Dodgers, but then me being a Yankees fan, I we basically do the same thing. So uh, you guys just go out and buy your guys' replacement. What are you talking about? Well, it's it's difficult having these these wallets that are so thick. You know how hard it is to spend twenty million dollars in five days before the IRS can come get you. I I wouldn't have a clue in the world. I don't know the last time the Giants spent twenty million dollars in an entire year let alone on one player. I don't I don't even know the last time that happened. So it's like, you know, you guys sit on fat stacks like this when you're like, you know, leaning this way when you're sitting on your wallet. The Giants sit on their wallet and they're like start caving in. It's, you know, completely different story for me. I, I think they just hover over the top of their wallet like nobody touched this. No, nobody touched this. <laughs> and then the Yankees are giving money away because of it's all stuffed in their mattress and they need to shift around on their bed. So they move out the big stacks that they can maybe make themselves a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> That's completely possible. I guess uh, something about those New York teams. They love to spend their money. As you talk about the Mets too, they, they do love to spend their money as well. Uh, Jim, we, we sent it over to you. Which one of the guys that I named off, which one, which injury is most impactful to the early season success? Do you think? Uh, of course, you know, bets is bets. And Jimmy touched on that. I'm going to say Chris Archer of the, of the Rays because the Rays have a solid starting rotation. And from what I can see what Kevin Cash is doing, how he brings back pitchers as he puts them in the bullpen. And right now the Rays' bullpen is struggling. They're not struggling this series against the Yankees, but they were getting rocked by the Red Sox and they were getting rocked by who they play in the first season or the first series, um, Miami. Um, and Archer is a day four starter, possibly day three for them uh, if he can, gets healthy. The Rays, in my opinion, bullpen is holding them back. Their offense is now kicking, and it's not because they're playing the Yankees. They have a good roster. They're pitching. They're, they have top – no matter if they lost Snell, they still have an elite ro pitching rotation. And Archer could be day four, day five, day three starter, but – he needs to be – he was going to be – he was used as a middle reliever in spring, and he was targeted to be a spring middle, reli or middle reliever during the season. And the the Rays are losing the guy like that, and they need him back for them to get back in a – it's not really back in. They're in the race. I, they're going to be in the race all year, but he will be a significant addition um, if healthy for the Rays. And the other one I got to say is maybe Josh Donaldson, Minnesota. Uh, if when you think of Minnesota rolling, you think of him. Um, but yeah, he'll be a key piece. But it's I, Jim hit the point with Syndergaard. Uh, I I've seen pitchers have Tommy John throw 101 went before they get Tommy John to come back and barely touch 95. Um, that's Greg Kimball role. That's Jonathan Papelbon, and the, uh, there's a couple others. So it's you know injuries are you. The better teams or the top teams in the league will find a way around their injuries, and you'll eventually see that at towards the end of the year. And the Rays have a roster to do that. Minnesota has a roster to do that. But these are key assets that make them top tier competition, top tier teams as the season progresses. And I, it's every one of these guys you mentioned have a significant, you know, piece in the puzzle of their team. It's how can they manage it? And the teams right now that you mentioned, they can manage so far. Um, it's just how big the injuries and what type of injuries build up from this that may continue to make them fall further, further down standings as we get to like month of uh, July or August or June. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and the one thing, you know, I'll also talk about Syndergaard. Syndergaard, he was actually scheduled to come back this month um, in, in April from, from Tommy Johns. However, he was set back, as you mentioned, Jimmy, that timeline for throwing can be anywhere from eight months to 12 months to a, to a year and like three months, really, if you really push it that long. He was projected to the eight-month period. Turns out that's not that wasn't how it worked out, and he just was able to start throwing last month. So just as they broke basically spring training camp, um, he was able to start throwing. That's why he's still delayed. And then as you guys talk about Chris Archer, it's ironic that Chris Archer comes through the bullpen because that was the whole reason he got traded away from the Rays in the first place because he did not believe he was a bullpen pitcher. And so they traded him to the Pirates. Or they, they let him go at the end of the season, and, and he ended up with the Pirates. So it's ironic that now he's going to be coming back from this injury, rolling through the bullpen as well. So that's a little bit of a interesting part of that. Um, just to add, add a little bit more turn of the screws to this, if you will. Um, but really, there's a feel-good story out here. And this one I've been I, – I, we haven't talked about yet, and I was kind of waiting until he, he, he got back on, on to pace before we start talking about him. Uh, but Trey Mancini for the Baltimore Orioles. If you guys don't know his story, he beat stage three colon cancer. came up with the, with the Orioles – um, was diagnosed, I think, I believe, two year, two seasons ago, and spent all of last season fighting colon cancer, uh, going through chemo and going through every step needed there. And he has finally returned to baseball. He hasn't had a great start to the season. He was batting just five of twenty-eight going into Saturday's game, but that didn't stop him. He finally hit his first home run, uh, went two for three on the night, so he has improved his 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 average as well. Is this the turning point for Mancini? Will he be able to ever get back to the guy that the Orioles brought him up to? Or will he just be a good, solid MLB player from now on? And we're expecting kind of mid-range levels for him. Or does he possibly struggle going into the dog days of summer in this season? I mean, what's your guys' thoughts on Mancini coming back? Obviously, it's a great story that he's coming back. But realistically speaking, for for production, what do you guys think of that? And, And Jim, I'll start with you on this one. First off... Mancini is a badass. He defeated stage three corner cancer. And he got a standing ovation in Boston. He got a huge standing ovation in Baltimore. I think he had one in New York when the Royals went to New York. He is what we always want to see a loved one or a friend or a colleague defeat cancer. And the first off, I just want to say congratulations to Trey Mancini for that. And also, uh, his, his bat's actually waking up. He think he had a home run last night or two nights ago in Boston and he said a couple of doubles and I still think he's the best hitter on the Baltimore staff and Baltimore has a good young talented staff they're just very inexperienced and I I just think that Mancini in my opinion I think he's gonna be solid I think it's just gonna take time I still think he's gonna be about 20 plus home run guy because he's that type of player um, it's just I think first couple of weeks in the season, you got all the emotions of getting back to where you to the game that you love and you're in and you in your basically the first three teams you face are Red Sox pitchers, Yankee pitchers. Uh, it's a very hard, you know, start of a season to get your game on. And he, he crushed one the other night. And I think he's going to have a good, a uh, good season, honestly. And I think he's the best player in Baltimore, in my opinion. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Saturday night was his first home run of the season. And that was, uh, it was a shot, too. It was a line shot. Just, I mean, it just traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, if you square the ball up, good things happen. But, Jimmy, what, what's your thoughts on Trey Mancini so far? You know, I have a lot of the same feeling as Jim to where <clears throat> I just want to start by saying that's that's a hell of a story and, and a hell of a fight, mainly because 
if you know anything about colon cancer, it's normally caught so late because you don't get, you don't start getting regularly checked for it until you're normally 50. That's like the part of the 50th year physical, <clears throat> excuse me. So it's very rare that you actually see somebody be able to fight it and then be able to beat it. So uh, I'm not going to say that he's not going to be able to get back to where he used to be because being able to defeat colon cancer in stage three, I don't think that there's anything I can say he can't do because that's more than, than what he is. I'm of the mind that whatever he's able to come back and do is, is fine. It's very similar to me with, with Eric Berry, even though I'm not a huge Chiefs fan. When he came back from cancer, you're just happy to see the guy play. And then he still played pretty well. He was not the same level that he was before the, the disease or anything like that. So just being able to see somebody feel like they're getting back to some sort of normalcy and, and just being that badass role model that you can tell other people who have to end up fighting this, the disease. You know, this guy was able, he was at the top. He came all the way back down to where you are now and he was able to fight back. That's, that's really all you can hope for out of a story like this. And, and I do think that he's going to get back to a, a good level of play. Will I, am I going to say that he's going to get all the way back to where he was? I won't say that he can't. I just think that it's going to be a long process to do so. Yeah, I definitely think we'll see him evolve as a player um, over this next season for sure. I think we'll see him adapting to what he's physically capable of doing this season and growing and like building on that going forward. But I do want to point out there is a story that that floated around about him, about his entire journey through chemo and everything, that he spent his entire time during chemo during those four to eight to, to 12 hour days where he's, you know, getting the chemo radiation doing nothing but watching film on himself at bat watching pitchers and what they could bring studying you know the the all the all the advanced statistics and that was what he was talking about he's like look i need motivation and and this what better motivation than to plan for my return by planning on what i'm going to face and have to deal with to get back and so that's that's just a little little something that came out and tells you exactly how much of a competitor mancini is not only did he beat colon cancer he did it in pre and still prepared for his future career returning to baseball, which when you're diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, nobody knows what you, what's about to happen. At that point in time, mm -hmm. for most average people, they start to consider, well, this is okay. All right, we'll figure out what's to happen happens. And and for him, he was like, no, you know what? I'm going to beat it and I'm going to come back to baseball. And and he's done everything, done everything perfect so far. So I just want to, you know, take that moment to, to, to talk about Trey Mancini. He's obviously a fantastic story um, and, and a good guy, too. He's, you know, well-deserving well, well of, of being able to come back to the, to the league and, and do what he's been able to do so far. Uh, but we're going to take this into break, guys. You're going to hear a quick message from Fanatics and Fubo TV. And when we get back, boy, do we have a discussion for you. And we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Low Sports Podcast. You know, if you missed the brand new news, we have partnered with Fanatics.com. So if you're in the market for a brand new t-shirt, brand new hoodie, brand new jersey, no matter the team, no matter the player, no matter the sport, Fanatics.com is your place to stop. Not only does this help support our podcast, but it helps support the entire Onion Sports Network. Check the link in our bio or go to OnionJSN.com. I'll be having DJ in the High Low Sports Podcast. See ya. What's up, everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Love Sports Podcast, and we recently partnered with FuboTV. What is FuboTV? FuboTV is a service to broadcast live TV over the internet, no cable required. 
Watch your favorite teams, network shows, news, and movies on over 100 plus channels. Get your channels like CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox. You can watch all the games. So go ahead, click that link in our bio, and get started on your seven day free trial. And stay tuned to some more great programming right here on the Unhinged Sports Network. And welcome back, everybody. As we talked about, our our network sponsors over at Fanatics and Fubo TV are absolutely fantastic. If you guys haven't checked them out, the link is in all of our bios. For most of us, we have a Linktree account, so go click on that Linktree account, and you'll be able you'll be taken directly to our Linktrees, and it'll say Fanatics or Fubo TV, and go check those out. If you guys haven't haven't already signed up for Fubo TV, please go do so because. Really, that's how you're going to be able to check out all, all 162 games from your favorite team all season long. Unless you just happen to be a Yankees-Red Sox fan, then in which case you end up on TV a little bit more often than most, or a Dodgers or Padres fan. Shame on you for choosing the easy teams. Choose a team that has, has to fight for TV rights. Um, it's, it's better for you. You become a better man because of it. <laughs> Says the guy who won like three World Series in the span of eight years. Uh, it was actually three and, three and five. But yeah, yeah. We'll, okay. We'll do, <laughs> I'm good for I'm good for championships for the rest of my life. I don't care anymore. I have I've 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 lived through the good days. I will just go and, and live through all the bad days and just be that crotchety old man. Back in my day, we won three World Series in five years, and that's that'll be me. So I'm accepting of that, guys. But I will say this: there is a huge discussion going on in that NL West, and of course, it's the lightning rod that is Trevor Bauer that brings in the discussion. If nobody knows what's going on, I'm calling it Bowergate. That'll be our title for this this story is Bowergate. If you guys don't know anything that, that happened with Trevor Bauer recently, in his last start versus the A's on Wednesday, multiple baseballs were taken and sent for, to the MLB for investigation. Reportedly, the baseballs had, visible, had, had been visibly marked and contained a sticky substance. However, here's the, here's the, here's the things that need to be said about this. The investigations of baseballs are supposed to be anonymous, one. And according to league officials, every single game that has happened so far in the season has had baseballs removed from play and taken to the lab. And number three, it is supposed to be for spin un, unadaptable spin rate changes or unseen spin rate changes that are just so astronomically high that doesn't make sense. And here's what's to consider this when you, you apply to Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer's spin rate averages, and I'll just take the last three years, including early on in the season. In 2019, 2,412 RPMs. Okay, fine. He jumps up in 2020, his Cy Young season, to 2,776 RPMs. Obviously, gets a little more whip on that, adds a little bit more snap to his wrist, and that's actually something that was broken down in tapes last year that you can see. And so far this season, he is hitting, on average, 2,776 RPMs. So exactly the same that he was in 2020. So no, there were no changes in the game versus the A's that are you can see that are just noticeable. So there's lots of aspects to this. And in case anybody didn't know, the MLB instated rules this offseason for exactly this situation. <laughs> they will be monitoring spin rates for suspicious increases to warrant investigations, obviously. The third-party labs will inspect the balls that show signs of being doctored. On top of that, compliance officers stationed at the stadium will keep eyes on dugouts, batting cages, and bullpens for any possible moment and if anything is found players are subject to discipline even if they're not caught during or after the game so if something comes back from this there are potential ramifications for the player um, which is very unique because this is not ever something baseball has done is is punished after the match because we think of the astros 
that was one of the big reasonings nobody got suspended for the Astros is because, well, we couldn't prove it during the game, so we can't prove it after the game. So that was why no players really got ever suspended. That's why only the manager got suspended, Alex Cora. So something to think about there. But we'll start with with one of the one. We'll start with one question here. <clears throat> is this rule change, in your guys' opinion, is this is this an okay rule change considering how much they've done for offenses throughout the years, or is this just another rule change in favor? of offenses because pine tar, Vaseline, sunscreen, those have all been used by baseball pitchers for years, for literally the last hundred years plus of baseball. They've all been an aspect of it. Is this a rule change that you, you kind of expected them to eventually adopt? Or is this one that you're just like, really now, is this really the big deal? And, and Jimmy, I want to start with you on this one. Manfred loves his home runs. That's all I can say about this. That's, that's basically what it comes down to. <clears throat> the pitchers, I feel like as long as there's an equal playing field for both. So if we're going to have juice balls, the pitcher should be able to play the game and put something on the ball or, um, you know, there's, there's always that part of it. So I, I don't understand. The only reason that I could see behind this rule change and the fact that they're going to start looking into this so heavily is because they want to see more home runs. They know that's what drives audiences. They know that's what's going to get them the most eyeballs to their content. They could do other things to, you know, try and help that, like not have their highlights behind a paywall or, or anything like that. But they see this as a way to keep home runs happening and then to discredit anything that a pitcher is able to do, because that's still, you still got to be a talented pitcher. If you're going to use, some, it's not like you put Vaseline on the ball and you're going to be able to throw it by a major league hitter. No, that's not how that works. You're still got to be very talented to be able to do that whether you're doctoring the ball or anything like that, just like how we, if you're going to play the swing angle game as a hitter, you still got to be able to hit a major league pitch. It's not like it, it's a advantage, but it's only an advantage if you know how to use it. So I don't agree with the MLB making this rule change. I don't think it's something that they should have touched. It's going after their, the, they're chasing the integrity of their own sport. It's, discrediting everything that's happened up to this point because this is what's been happening in the game ever since it was invented. Ah, I was muted the whole time. Anyways, yeah, I definitely agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. That is a, that's a very good point. And, and Jim, um, what's your thoughts on this? Is the rule change okay or is it, again, just favoring the offense? Just like, as, Jim, as Jimmy mentioned, Rob Manfred loves his offense. He's favoring the offense. And... I'm just to a point to just like two years ago, you introduced juice boss, but juice balls and you told the major league fans like, Oh no, these are regular baseballs. No, uh, there are a lot more home runs happening in the postseason that didn't happen in the regular season. Then they slide. Then they admit after that season. Yeah. We were introducing new baseballs that have for the, the, uh, I think the 2018 season. So they lied then about the baseballs. Now there has been rumors about the baseballs being dead this season. And once coaches all around the league were sh like calling out the baseball on live ESPN and MLB TV, all of a sudden home runs have increased within the last week. Go do some of your numbers uh, for you statistic people out there. Uh, home runs are up 25% this week compared to last week. That just, then you get this rule. We praise home run hitters, but we want to punish pitchers. We 
you know, we punished Barry Bonds because he hit a lot of home runs and Mark McGuire because of steroids. Okay. Maybe he's trying to get advantage over the pitchers. Now, when pitchers are now get trying to get advantage over of hitters, they get punished. And I'm not a Trevor Bauer fan. Never have. I think he's an arrogant prick. If you're watching this at Trevor Bauer, hi. Thank you for listening. But still, I just – it, are we going to do the same thing in baseball like they do in the NFL? They check footballs now, like they have a security guard checking footballs. I know that kind of uh, it may come towards about you know the Patriots, but you know tough shit. We won Super Bowl even from in, it. Even in baseball season, we still get the seven shades of Brady. I was but, I was going to say you let a Boston fan start talking about balls in sports, but still, uh, it's a double edged sword. But we want to punish the pitchers, but yet want to produce more home runs and more highlights for the MLB. So Rob Manford is an idiot. He has been an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. We need new change. Get Adam Silver in there. Crap. I rather have Roger Goodell as a commissioner of the MLB right now because the MLB is so behind times, but yet when they get caught right hand, they're like, Oh no, this is a new change. Here's the new rules. This is what happens. It's a cluster. And you know, I don't like it, but still, Hey, if you get caught, you get caught. If you literally have like pine tar, like a freaking homeboy for the Yankees a couple of years ago, literally had pine yeah, tar on his yeah. neck, that's cheating. That's flat out showing that you're cheating. But, yeah. you know, if it's like Mage Lane, Vaseline the hair, you know. Yeah, you just ball, hide it. I was going to say, just hide that's, it. That's all you got to do. That's gamemanship, in my opinion. That's doing it right. But having it all over your neck, that's yeah, legit cheating. So uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword question, Kelsey, and – yeah, it's let's just let's have national security advisors now watch every single freaking puck <laughs> all ever made in professional sports and they take care of it. Like it's getting outrageous for every sporting league. Yeah, now I, and we'll, we'll we'll get to that gamesmanship cheating suck comment in just a second. Jimmy, go ahead. I I got a question for you guys. Do you think that maybe they're doing this because they think it's more difficult to hit home runs than it is to throw high speed like these pitches that we're starting to see where there's three to four inches of movement at a time? Because that's really the only explanation I can think of where they think it's more difficult to hit home runs. So that's why they're favoring the offense as much as they are. Yeah, Jim, I'll let you go first on this one because I actually have some some rule changes that, that apply to this exact rule or this exact idea. I think, honestly, it benefits offense because, like, again, when I said Manford, offense sells tickets in Major League Baseball. People rather see home runs than no hitters. Not me. I would love to see a no-hitter. Um, but I have to – yeah, I got to say you hit it on the point, uh, Jimmy. I think you're right. Uh, I think it. they're doing this because it's so much harder to hit home runs now. They're trying to keep the game exciting and highlights and get people in stands because it's very hard to sell tickets at – in the, at like Kansas City and, and Milwaukee. You go to Yankees and L.A. and Boston, they don't have to worry about selling tickets. The stands are going to be sold out. So it all comes down to the bottom dollar. If it's if it's helping the bottom dollar, they'll do it. Or if it's not helping the bottom dollar, they won't, they'll do it to help the bottom dollar. It's all about money. And it's just, again, double-edged sword. Go ahead, Cliff, Kelsey. I'll say this. I think you chose the wrong teams to use as an analysis for, you know, filling in stadiums that they, they have no problem filling in those days. Now the twins, the Mariners. Yeah. They struggle filling in the A's. They struggle filling their stadiums in. Oh, the um, A's of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I forgot about the A's. So, but as far as 
what's harder to do and why MLB is doing. First of all, if if nobody remembers back when they brought in the live balls, there was also the issue with the seam height. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but the seams were actually dropped flat to the ball. And anybody who's been a former pitcher knows that the moment the seams drop, you lose your spin. You lose a lot of the grip because what provides that spin, what provides that drop, what provides that movement is the way the air flows over the ball as it spins around. And that's how you get three to six to eight inch drops that are just absolutely disgusting. Like we talked, we did the Shohei Otani game the other day and I was just absolutely dirty watching him and some of the movement he got on it. And they, they've dropped them completely flat and then they brought them back up a little bit, but it's like half the height that it previously was. So they're still able to get some spin, but they're not able to get all the spin. And then when you also deaden the ball, it also prevents some of that spin from happening as well because it carries its weight different through its spins. So yeah, 100% baseball is doing everything in its power to make home runs easier for batters because, this goes back to our hitting conversation, hitters aren't taught to actually hit a ball. They're taught to hit home runs. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. they even have a, a cheat sheet put together on how to hit home runs. They went in and figured out as long as you swing at this angle, if you just got to make contact, pitchers providing all the power. You don't got to supply anything other than just putting the barrel where it needs to go. So uh, there's a lot. Like, they're not even trying to hide it. It'd be at this point like if uh, Goodell was arresting the defensive players for sacking the big-name quarterbacks. He hasn't gone quite that far yet, but that's what that's similar to what the MLB is doing for home runs. Yeah, no doubt. And that's actually probably the next step for the NFL and – I mean, yeah, for 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 the MLB, it's about to start ejecting pitchers in the eighth inning for throwing a no-hitter, it feels like. Um, sorry, Joe Musgrove, you were the last no-hitter in the history of MLB. Never going to see yeah. another one. Um, now, I do want to Hold take... it, hold it. You struck him out. No! Exactly, no. yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of strikeouts and, and home runs and, and, and irony of all this, one of the biggest outcries for all of this Trevor Bauer saga and calling for Trevor Bauer's head, they need to be on a spike, he needs to be fined, he needs to be suspended, he needs to be completely kicked out of the league, has been Astros fans. <laughs> now, we all know how we feel about the Astros. We've had this discussion. But what is what, what do you make of the Astros fans? Because obviously Trevor Bauer was one of the bigger proponents being like, well, they straight up cheated. They deserve all the hate they can get. How do you feel about Astros fans coming out and saying, oh, well, he, we just want him to have the same exact treatment that we got? Like, Do they not realize what they did was completely different? Or is it is it to them, they're just like, we want Trevor Bauer's head on a spike. Like, what, is your, what, is, what do you guys make of this? Jim, what do you think? Uh, I think it's laughable. <laughs> um, maybe next time the Astros want to win a championship, they might need to use something else in trash cans because it's very obvious why you're hearing banging sounds before certain pitters hit. Um, but it's ironic. They won a legit championship and got caught cheating to win a championship, and MLB doesn't do anything saying investigations uh, didn't show that they were cheating during the game. But there's clear evidence of trash banging heard every single time certain pitchers, certain hairs got up the bat. Um, and also Altuve hitting a great uh, walk-off home run and telling people not to pull his shirt. Obvious that he's wearing something under his shirt. It was uh, a bad tattoo. It was uh, a bad tattoo. Okay. And um, then his wife, his wife didn't want his chest exposed on TV. That, those were his two excuses that he used. Wow. That's happy nice. wife, happy life is my, is my answer to that. And so yeah. whether, whether that's true or not, I'm just going to be like, I, happy wife, happy life. So if she's happy. Um, but <laughs> it's quite ironic. It's, it's quite ironic. Uh, but 
a whole team to a singular player. It's the MLB allowed Houston to do what they did. And if they punish Trevor Bauer, then what's, what are we, what are we doing then? If you're not going to pitch a team that literally stole the championship away from the Los Angeles Dodgers to then punish Trevor Bauer for this, for like one game compared to a seven game series in the biggest series in the sport, then okay. Something's wrong. Um, Astro fans are salty because they're getting tired of every time they're watching the game, one of their players get plucked by a ball. Hey, I like to have a player plucked by the ball. You know, we get a man on base right off the bat. Go ahead, do it. Come on. That's great. Enjoy the hate Astros. You're so young, so naive. Just care for me and Jimmy as Red Sox and Yankee fans. Every stand we go to, we're the most hated teams. We love it, and we still kick your ass. So, Houston, get used to it. Uh, Trevor Bauer's not going to get punished. You guys just got caught cheating. And, you know, be like me with my Patriots. Yes, okay, still got a championship. Bling, bling. Enjoy it. But, you know, Houston, get over it. Get used to it. Whatever. I'm going to have to banish Jim from talking about <laughs> anything anything football during baseball. Hey, how has everything so far turned into a comparison it's to Tom Brady? the contrast. That's all. Like, no, they're not the same. Seven Shades of Brady does not belong in baseball season. Uh, Deflate Gate, Spy Gate, both years won Super Bowls. Ah, get out of here. Anyways, anyways, Jimmy. See, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thoughts on this one, Jimmy? What do you think? Astros fans calling so loudly for Bowers' head. I mean, really, like, this is just silly at this point, right? Yeah, no, I wish I could go through life with that much level, that level of naivete or just that lack of awareness to the point where, oh, I shit daisies. Everything that I do is fine. Like nothing, everything that I do is perfect. And it's just like, that's, that's so far past the definition of irony. I don't even know how to, how to comment on it because the Astros, I, I, I said it last week, Mitch, Mitch's podcast has the best drop on the Astros. Whether or not you win a legitimate championship, the first one you still won, you cheated to get. That doesn't go away. That's not like once you win a second one and it, and maybe I highly doubt it would be legitimate because obviously nothing legitimate happens in that organization. Even if it is now, that's still like, you still have the legacy of being the ones to cheat. I, I agree. I think Jim, Jim is right in this one. Just embrace being the heel. That's the best when you're so far past being able to redeem yourself. Cause I highly doubt there's anything that the Astros would be able to do to redeem themselves in the eyes of baseball fans whether or not there's not that many left, it's just incredible that they walk around and still think, oh, no, we're, we were in the right. Like, not getting punished was okay, and now we're just being bullied because everybody's upset that we're so much better than them. No, that's not the reason we're upset. I feel like a little bit of self-awareness would be good in Houston, and I don't want to call out Insert Name FC because they like to talk a lot of trash when I trash on Houston. And I'm using trash very, very purposely here. Just, just go ahead and 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 deal with it. Just deal with it, and, and that's all you got to say because it's not changing. Yeah, no. Look, I made the mistake. Uh, Hector tweeted some or had commented on something that uh, some some blog writer, sports writer, he was a verified guy on Twitter, and I woke up one day and I I chose violence, and I decided to go on that post and be like, look, you guys straight cheated. It's not the same. Like, this is something that's been in baseball. You guys use a digital device to cheat. 
it's not the same. Like, why are you guys calling for his head? This is just silly at this point in time. And everybody there was like, oh, well, this, that, the other. I'm like, who cares? At this point in time, who cares? Like, you guys are just... Yeah, so I woke up choosing violence, which, by the way, was the worst idea I've ever had on Twitter and not doing that anymore. <laughs> I say that, but I'm going to probably jump right back in the next Astros commentary available because it's so fun to talk about. Now, talking about, getting back to Trevor Bauer, Jim, you mentioned earlier you obviously are not a fan of him. He's not a very lovable guy. Trevor Bauer is, a, as I mentioned, a, light, a lightning rod, which is good and bad for baseball. A lot of people love to hate him. A lot of people love him because he's so outspoken and, and he is as Jimmy mentioned, a hill amongst the sport of baseball. And, and sometimes you need to have a hill to make a good uh, make for a hero on the other side. Now, he has been long a proponent of monitoring spin rates to, to see for illegal substances and see if that ever applied to any team. And he has long been saying that that needs to be something MLB checks out. Now, the flip side of things, MLB is like, all right, we're going to make you the proponent. Are you guys okay with him being turned into the the face of the spin rate issue, considering this is supposed to be an anonymous situation? Or is this a mess up by MLB by just leaking that it was Trevor Bauer? Or is this them coming after him for being being as loud and outspoken as he is, Jimmy? We'll go to you for this one. This is a classic mob tactic to where when you're the squeaky wheel, you're going to be the first one that they turn around – and go after because you don't want to you don't want somebody who is one of the better players at the position in your league coming out and talking about how much there is cheating in your game so now that he's brought so much attention to it they're just kind of trying to basically send the message to him like hey if you shut up next time maybe we'll leave you alone or just you know see eye to eye with us do what we say and and just play ball I feel like that's the way this is coming off and it's not right for the MLB to do this. The, the fortunate thing for them is that there's probably not many people who are going to stand up for Trevor Bauer and not many people who are going to stand up for individual players because the MLB is much like the NFL where you root more for the team than you necessarily do for the players. Like the NBA is a very superstar-driven league. I'd still say the MLB is a lot more team uniform-driven. Yeah. So I think this, it's, a, it's a shady tactic by the MLB but it shouldn't be a surprise to Trevor Bauer because he knew what he was doing, poking the bear. You got to be ready for the ramifications. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, it's, it's funny. You mentioned the, the mob mob mentality there. Uh, ironically, back when baseball was first started, some of the teams were run by mobsters. So that is a, a consideration of both of your teams being one of them, ironically. Yeah. Um, so well, that's also, that's, that's also what caused the eight men out situation. So if Mitch was here, we could talk about the Black Sox. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, Jim, do you, do you agree with Jimmy on this one? Is this a mob a mob mentality type of move, or is this is this just being a, just a, a unique situation that happens, and it just is coincidence? No, it's the MLB from some odd reason likes to do these type of dirty games to start investigating stuff and start implementing new rules. This is just them going, let's find our first person to put a name on what we're doing, and. Go after the guy who's in the light, who brought this issue up. He's also being involved in this issue. Put his name on it. That's just MLB being this mob mentality. They're like, oh, let's choose a player. Perfect, because I guarantee you, if Randy Johnson was still playing or when Kurt Schilling was playing, or we can go to some bad, you know, like Pedro Martinez, and if they said something about it, MLB was like, yeah, this is Pedro Martinez. 
And also, it could also be someone in the organization who doesn't like Trevor Bauer that leaked it. That's true. Yeah. Maybe he pissed off a custodian or not custodian, like well, not, not what they call those job managers or something like that, trainers. And they're like, yeah, this is what's going on. It's because they, he did something in the locker room. It, it could be that simple. And also it could be the MLB like, oh, fuck, now we got to admit that we're doing it now because the leak happened. So from what I've read about him, he wherever he's been, he's not been liked by the organizations. So I think it's going to come to a stage like your shit don't stink, dude. Like you're burning bridges, and now the MLB is going to burn his bridge when it's time. So, yeah, he's one of those guys. He's loved by players, but the organizations that usually have his contract are like, ah, oh, God, dude, what really? Can you just shut up once in a while? Stop going on your ironically on a podcast and talking too much shit. Um, but yeah, no, he's one of those guys that's going to be always draw, always draw a flame to his, uh, always draw a moth to his flame, if you will. Um, just because that's just his mentality. Uh, now, I do want to – I have a bigger question to ask about gamesmanship and cheating. We'll get to that one in a second, as I mentioned. But if Bauer does face punishment, we've already, you guys have both mentioned this now, do we expect this to become an appeal by the MLBPA? Because the Players Association obviously is for the players and, and, and supposed to help support them. But they're kind of one of those shady organizations as well that doesn't always support MLB players. However, you do remember Ryan Braun, who has been – very maligned amongst the league. He was supported by MLBPA after he did the individual research himself to, to get it cleared. Uh, is this going to be something that we see with Trevor Bauer if he does face a punishment, which mind you up until this point, pitchers have only ever faced an injection from a game and a fine afterwards for any sort of illegal substance, any sort of doctoring of a baseball type of offense. So if we see a long-term punishment here, do we, can we see that this being appealed or is this going to be one where Trevor Bauer is quite literally going to be the the martyr of this situation. And Jim, we'll start with you on this. I think the Players Association will jump in because, like what you said, Kelsey, the organizations don't like Trevor Bauer. He's a good teammate. Players support his ass. So the Players Association is going to back him on this because if you're going to start punishing Bauer for this, you're going to have to start going back and look at all the pitchers in history that have found ways to get that extra curve on the ball, that extra zip on the pitch to get guys out. And, and it's something it's going to hurt the integrity of the game because we're going to have pitchers getting investigated after they have a no hitter, or they're going to have a pitchers being investigated for, you know, man, you're throwing five miles faster than you usually do. So it, the, the player associate almost said MFL, my bad, but the player associate will jump in and Trevor Bauer's favor. Um, but the things that the people who don't want it to happen are the owners and the MLB itself. Yeah, definitely. And, and it is, it is Tony Clark who will be the, pre, who is the president of the PA, a uh, former baseball player himself, former player with the Padres, former coach as well. Um, Jimmy, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen in this situation? I feel like the PA is going to be forced to step in because if they don't defend a guy like Trevor Bauer, who, whether it's a lot of bad attention or not, he is he's one of the bigger stars in the league. They're not going to step in and defend one of those guys. Uh, you're going to lose the trust of the smaller players that you're really fighting for because that's what the players' associations are put in there for. They're there for the entirety of the players in the league, but they're the ones that look out for the little guys and, and the guys that aren't Mike Trout making ungodly amounts of money. <clears throat> 
So I think the PA is going to just be forced to step in on precedent because if you set the precedent that you're not going to defend a star, there's very little chance. Like, yes, it's a, all of this is a shady organization. And the fact that people think that these things are happening by accident, an organization as big as the MLB or the MLB PA, nothing happens. That's an accident. Everything had a purpose. Everything was set into motion. So they're going to need to take this step and they're going to have to do whatever they can to defend Trevor Bauer. If he does get suspended, I really, I highly, I, I would like to think that the MLB knows if they do something retroactively and make this a thing that it's going to cause more damage to their image than good. I would like to think that they know that so they won't do it, but that's putting a lot of credit on the plate of Rob Manfred, which I will never do. So I'm not going to say that, he's that aware that he, he knows what's going to happen if this does go the way that it's looking like it will be. Yeah. And it's it, the one unique thing with the MLB players association, unlike many leagues, as you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, Jimmy, that the power is kind of with the organizations. And there's a reason behind that. If you look at the PA representatives, it's Daniel Murphy, Andrew Miller, Elvis Andrews, and then Max Scherzer. One of those four names is actually a big name in the game. Who's older. The other one, Elvis Andrews, Obviously, people know about him because he was supposed to be a big thing. And then Daniel Murphy, Andrew Miller, people know about him if they know about him. You know, that's, that's those are baseball heads that have to know about him. So those are the guys that are their, their representatives that help to kind of decide who and what gets gets appealed and who and what gets gets demoted and things. And I think you're exactly right when it comes down to it that it is one of those things that could be more detrimental to the league than they have a have a plan for for sure. Um, and as I talked about, we obviously there's a bigger he- conversation here in the sport of baseball about gamesmanship versus cheating. Um, and now the one thing I will add to this whole s- scenario with baseballs and everything, anybody who's rubbed down a baseball, anybody who's seen a doctored baseball knows what it looks like. It's not very, like you can very clearly see it. It's not hideable. Like if, if somebody were to take a razor blade or their fingernail and cut a gash in it, it looks way different than a baseball hitting off of a bat, slicing off, and then getting a scuff mark on it. That's a very large square. And then whereas if anybody else does that, it's it, it's a very small straight line, one, two lines. Substances are very clearly easily easily noticeable. And then also on the, on the flip side of things, pine tar, when you talk about pine tar, it rubs off of the bat every single time a guy, a, a hitter hits it off of his handle. And nowadays they mm. let these hitters get it, the George Brett level of pine tar on their bats. That just goes all the way up the barrel for some guys. And it's just like, it breaks their bats, obviously, every time it hits there. And then you see pine tar rubbed off on the ball. And it's not the pitcher's responsibility to take that ball out of the play. It's actually the umpire's responsibility to take that ball out of play. So if he ends up getting penalized for something that's very clearly not a doctored baseball that has pine tar on it, that's not on him in reality. Let's be completely frank on that. That is purely on the umpires and them not doing their job up until this point. And that's just one thing I wanted to add in this whole greater conversation that there's a method here that it's not being punished in the game now because of all these extra rule changes. They're actually just saying, ah, we'll just send it to the labs, whatever. We don't need to check. And that's just, I think that's, that's abysmal. I think you gotta, if you, you gotta actually follow the rules. You have to manage the rules. You have to, to be a guy that says, look, if this is going to, if this is something, if something's happening in the game, and that dugout's complaining, or I'm noticing a little something different happening, or I'm getting a couple of baseballs back that are just a little too sticky for my liking, I need to stop something, and I need to go talk to that pitcher. 
that's that's my opinion as as a former player, as a guy who's um um many games in my life. I feel like that should should be what happens. You have to to run the rules properly if you're going to enforce the rules later on. I feel like that's just a very simple effort to it. But speaking of rules, there are a lot of rules in baseball, but one of the rules that does not ever get applied is obviously like sign stealing. Um, you know, you talk about pine tar, sunblock Vaseline on pitchers' arms and on their head, on their hat, um, having a stat sheet in their back pocket for tendencies, uh, things like that. A lot of those get chalked up to gamesmanship. Then you have what the Astros did using a camera and a trash can and, and what the Yankees have been suspected of doing using a camera because it's they're the only two, two stadiums in the Major League Baseball who have the same camera angle that is right over the pitcher's shoulder, right at the catcher's glove, which the Yankees have actually since moved their camera angle over a little bit to avoid this being an issue any further. But it was also the reason why bullpens are no longer allowed in dead center field because they could read and still signs and relay it up to the, the players. So the bigger question here becomes what is cheating in baseball and what is good gamesmanship in baseball? Where, where do you guys draw the line in this? And I'm just going to give a couple situations that have happened so far this season. First baseman for the Marlins takes a tendency sheet, a stat sheet off, out of the back uh, pocket of a base runner. And he looks at it, he glances at it, and then he throws it on the ground right at the, at the feet of the base runner. Taps him on the shoulder, says, hey, you dropped something, obviously. He's already read it and memorized all the, the the signs that are on it, all the tendencies, everything on there. He knows all of that. Is that cheating or is that gamesmanship in your guys' opinion? Is that something that would be over the line or is that just good on him? And, Jimmy, we'll go with you. I, I don't mind the unwritten rules and everything like that. Uh, that's similar to me as the hidden ball trick. It's there. There's a certain – I guess pride almost that you got to always be on your toes and think that everybody like you can never really trust the other team because of the different situations they can put you in. Um, so I kind of like having to have that edge in the game. I think that's just fun gamesmanship. And if you fall for it, you're an idiot probably should have gone to college instead of getting drafted right out of high school. <laughs> but you know, there's gullible written in the sky too. Oh, you looked up. It's, it's a, I think that's just a fun situation. I don't see a problem with with doing that. Yeah. And, and Jim, what about you? Is that something sort of would – would you consider something like that gamesmanship or, or, or cheating? Uh, gamesmanship. Yeah. Uh, it's – yeah, okay, you write a card, tendencies. You want to have – be prepared as an organization, have multiple cards or multiple changes if that happens. So I think, yeah, it's gamesmanship. It's like a, that can happen in any game, honestly. Yeah. So then what, the, here's the bigger question. What do you qualify as cheating on a field? We've seen a very obvious example with the Astros and their extremist level of cheating. What is the line that that you see it? Like, what is the one thing that you can say happens that you've seen happen in a baseball game where that's the moment that it switches from gamesmanship to cheating? And Jim, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, obvious pine tar on the neck. Um, of course, what the Astros did. With the trash cans and technologies, what the Yankees and both the Red Sox have been accused of doing, um, actually having somebody in the stands relay uh, information uh, that's been caught, I think, in minor league level, but not major league level. Uh, it's, it's been caught in college, Mississippi State. How are you guys doing against Florida? I don't know. Get the guy out of center field for cheating up for you. Um, those are cheating. That's blatant cheating. Um, but 
and of course steroids and all that stuff that's cheating but yeah uh, stein ceiling from second baseman who's a, 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 a batter's on second baseman on the base that's not that's just your catcher not hiding the damn single uh that's gamemanship but all the rest i just said yeah that's using technology in your favor that a team doesn't know you're using is cheating honestly Jimmy, what about you? What's your thoughts on this? Where do you draw the line for it? I I don't – I mean, I like the fact that normally when these rules are break broken, the other team has ways that they can go about getting even, whether it be hitting somebody or just being a little bit rougher and tags and everything like that. So the, the hockey enforcer in me kind of comes out when stuff like that happens. The big thing that I always had a problem with would be guys sliding and trying to take other people out, like the fielders sliding into second on a double play situation. I just, you know, that's when you're trying to affect somebody else's life, livelihood in their career. And if you get them right, there's possibility they never play baseball again. I don't see that as a a good situation. Um, If you can hide the stuff on you, obviously, or if you're a pitcher and you're just, really good at getting sweat or getting some spit on the ball so that you can have a little bit extra spin. I don't mind it. Basically, if you get caught doing it, you deserve to have some sort of sanction, but I would rather have it in the hands of the players, like the catcher, put the, put the finger up and let's go throw at this guy's head because all he's doing is trying to steal our signs. That's I I would rather have that than over officiating the game. Yeah. I, I get that wholeheartedly. I, I, I like the, the – there's there's aspects to the sliding in the second that you mentioned that obviously I don't like, um, especially when somebody is just blatantly doing it to take out the guy. Whereas there is an ask, there's an art to it. If you can still slide and wrap yeah. your elbow elbow and elbow and forearm, if you can wrap that around the bag, you're in my eyes, I'm like, okay, that's fine. As long as you're not completely horizontal and, you know, completely like your body's away from the bag that way. Like if it looks like a good slide, it's not a late slide – and you can wrap your arm around the bag, then obviously, okay. But yeah. There's a difference between a a rough slide and then taking, trying to cleat somebody or trying to get them in the knee or ankle. There's a total difference between playing hard and playing dirty. Yeah, no doubt. And then, you know, we've seen it with some of these, the catcher rules they've changed, obviously being one of the, one of the ones that to kind of eliminate, it's not so much cheating, but some of that rougher potential, you know, career ending plays, um, you know, Buster Posey being the prime example of that yeah. one. Um, I was going to say, I didn't expect him to come back and catch after that. No, not at all. I, and especially to have a potential almost MVP season after that injury was, was kind of crazy. I mean, that yeah, was the rule made for him. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what, to be honest, that, that was a rule that had to be made eventually. That was, it was because if we look at athletes and how big they become, it's a bigger thing, but I'm kind of leaning towards Jim a lot with this, with this, what's gamesmanship and what is cheating. I think the moment technology gets involved, that's the moment that it's no longer a gamesmanship type of a conversation. The moment like you have the scoreboard operator flick a hit on for, for something they see or, you know, that you have a guy out there using binoculars or you have the, the buzzers on their chest or on their arms or you have, you know, any one of these aspects, the, the cameras especially, those are any one of those technological aspects or cell phones. Those have been one in college as well that have been penalized many times. Um, cell phones. Notorious the- Mississippi State with cell phones. Yeah, and the so, guy, uh, the guy, the guy will shake his hand, and the light will flash on the phone for the what pitch the guy was throwing. Yeah, so uh, that happened. Yeah, also got caught because he was he was actually streaming the game, 
through SEC Network. <laughs> Correct. And and they would uh, they had the camera because the camera at Texas A&M goes right over the shoulder of the the pitcher. Yep. Um, they've actually also since moved their their camera positioning. Uh, but the moment you, technology gets what, involved, that's this line. What do you guys think about? Because I know when we would be in the dugout watching the other, we would sometimes pick up on a tendency just the pitcher showed. Because it was obviously a while ago, and like little league pitchers, when they're throwing a curveball, they normally have some sort of tell. Um, yeah, they're showing their pitch. Yeah, but but that that's not cheating. That... That's gamemanship. Yeah, okay. that's I, I just that's a, that's, a, that's a whole dugout noticing something. <laughs> yeah, and... yeah. Well, we would also just call it out. Like we would have some kid on the team that had a distinct whistle, like whistle once for, uh, or when he whistles, it's an off speed pitch. So just. Yeah. And and there's ways. That's the thing, though. There's this the thing about the Astros that just kills me so much is there's a way to do what they were doing within the game of baseball. You don't use a freaking trash can in the back. You say, "All right, let's go two seven versus let's go Altuve." You know, the mm-hmm. Altuve is a straight is a fastball. Two seven is an off speed pitch, and it's as simple like that. Like or hey, big hitter two seven is like that's a high fastball or high ch- or high curveball in the zone like that's that's how you do it that's and that's the way we when we used to take signs in 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 leagues that i played in and that was how we did it when it came from the second when it came especially when it came from a batter or a runner on second base he would signal to our third base coach our third, third base coach would signal to our head coach and he'd tell one of the players that's standing next to him usually a pitcher that wasn't in the game and that's who would call out the the play so you had a distinct voice you were listening for if that was the case if something was picked up and anytime there was a tell, anytime there was a hitch in the giddy up for a, a, a wind up or anything, anything that gave away a pitch, you that's 100% gamesmanship. And that's what bothers me so much about the Astros is they decided to take this whole, we're going to steal signs to a level that's no longer gamesmanship. They're like, let's go beat on a freaking trash can and not, let's just say, let's go out to, you know, simple words or signs. Even the base coach can give you signs through the like if you're especially if you're a righty you look at the third or you look at the first base coach if you're a lefty you look at the first third base coach all before the pitch ever comes because you know when the catcher sets up because he's in his position so you know when a pitch mm-hmm. is to be expected that's when you look back but this whole thing with the Astros just kills me because they just took it from a normal level of gamesmanship to let's use cameras plus a trash can and make this completely obvious we're cheating that feels like where's Trevor Bauer let's be honest Vaseline, pine tar, and sunblock, those are the big three usually used. That's always been a thing. You talk about like Phil Necro with his uh with his sandpaper in his back pocket when all the umpires surround him and he's like, No, I don't have anything. Finally reaches into his back pocket, takes it and throws it behind the umpire, and then the third umpire out on the backside, who was not even in the huddle, notices that he did it, and that's how he got caught, and he was suspended for just that game. That's how that's it. Ejection for the game. Like, yeah, it's silly. There's there's a ton of different things, too. But like knuckleballers uh, are very particular about their fingernails. Like I watched the R.A. Dickey documentary that they had on Netflix. So then are you mandating if you mandate all of this? Are you mandating when guys can go like when guys can groom their fingernails or what they can do with with their fingers if they were because it does like especially for a knuckleball and it could be beneficial for depending on what off-speed pitch you're throwing, there's a lot of things that you can that you don't normally think about. Like if somebody's never pitched a baseball, nobody would ever think if you keep one nail longer or, or something, it could change the flight pattern of the ball. So 
I almost feel like it's a slippery, slippery slope. And the more you take out, the more you're going to have to start really getting to the point of, well, we're just going to have to make sure, like, like you said, arresting people for throwing a strikeout because uh, it can't happen. That's we've leg- we've legitimately legislated that out of the game. Why are you doing this? Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned, the fingernail thing, that's a, that's an aspect of pitching that a lot of people don't understand is, is pitchers and their fingers. The reason why blisters and hangnails are so bad for pitchers is that that's your complete grip. It's gone. Like if you can't grip the thing with the same amount of pressure and allow the same amount of roll per, per pitch, you, your whole game is off. Um, sometimes for the better though, some pitchers have had better, better luck that way. Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell, when he came back from Tommy John struggled because he wasn't able to find the same thing, had a blister and all of a sudden things came back to him. It's the weirdest thing ever, you know, it's, it's, it's unique. And one thing with also fingernails, you can dig into the ball, into the leather, provide little bumps in the ball, and you throw it with the bumps reversed. And so that you catch the air pockets, changes up the momentum, especially knuckleballers. That's how they get some of these nasty, nasty movements um, for sure. But yeah, this Trevor Bauer thing is absolutely crazy. I think is is just the, the, the safest thing to say about it. It's just, it, it should never have been blown into this proportion, but here we are talking about it for a whole half of our episode for a segment of our episodes, because this is just how big it's blown up into because people will just non-baseball fans are trying to dictate baseball to baseball people, if that makes sense. And that's, that's where we're at right now with this game is, is all, all the people that know baseball have played baseball, have, have experienced baseball. We're all just like, oh, this is part of it. What are you talking about? Everybody else is like, no, no, no. You guys cheated the same way the Astros cheated. Like, no, 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 we, we, there's levels to this. Yeah. This is like, Oh no! You put pine tar on the on the ball. That's a slap on the wrist. The Astros is like, you gave away nuclear launch codes to the opponent. That's what you just did. Yeah. You just gave nuclear launch codes to Russia. Like let's let's and not then got that. promoted for it. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, nothing ever happened. You know, and then Oopsies. you got a, you got a high five and said good job, good job. And and then the guy you know that really wasn't involved that told people not to do it in Alex Cora. As much as I like to make fun of him, he does get suspended for it. And he took the blame for everybody. Like, really, Alex Cora has, has long been known one of those guys. He's an old-school baseball player. He does not get involved. In his whole career, he was never found once to be doing anything to bend the rules, if you will. Um, he talked a lot of crap, and he stayed, he stayed in that gamesmanship role, but he never actually crossed that line into cheating. And this is, like, one of those things that you know when he took the fall for things. You're like, wow, that's poor guy. But it worked out for the best for him. So what do we know? But moving on, we're moving on, moving on. (laughs) What? Oh, come on. No, I'm not letting you. Yeah, yeah, no. (laughs) You're going to somehow relate this to Tom Brady. And I don't, we're over. We're Tom Brady. I don't know how you're going to relate it to Tom Brady. It's Alex Cora. It's the 2019, 2018 World Series champions. Anyway. Great year. I'm afraid of how you're going to turn this into it. So we're going to move forward to our final thoughts brought to you by Fubo TV. If you guys haven't checked out Fubo TV, as I mentioned earlier, it's how you check out all 162 games for your favorite MLB team. And there are certain blackout areas. However, those are few and far between, unless you're, like I mentioned, a Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, or Padres fan, because then you have plenty of blackouts because of all the ESPN games. Mm-hmm. But Jim, let's start with you. What's your final I- thoughts from this, this last week of baseball? Uh, my final thoughts is uh, don't let the Red Sox get hot. Um they're currently killing Baltimore right now. Um, but actually, my final thoughts is is 
go to a game if you're in anywhere in the country, ladies and gentlemen. Go support it. Stadiums are open. They're looking for fans. If you're lucky to live in a state that has bigger capacities, go enjoy this game. Uh, baseball is a unique sport. Don't watch it on TV. For me, I'm in Jacksonville. I can't see the Red Sox. I can only see them a couple of weeks out of the year, and they're in Tampa. And when they do, I'll go. So go out there. Go enjoy the game. You know, Jimmy went to a game earlier this week. He's lucky. He lives in Denver. He has a state staying really in the city. So my final thoughts is enjoy the game. Watch as much baseball as you can. Uh, baseball is a great sport. It represents America. It represents everything about life. Uh, go enjoy the game. That's my final thoughts. All right. I like it. That's actually the nicest thing you've ever said in this show. So who knew? Who knew you were capable of being a nice guy? Oh, that's such an ass move. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Jimmy, we we're, the- gonna, we're gonna take it to you for this one. What are, What are your final thoughts on this this last week? Uh, so, so I'll just echo what Jim was saying. Uh, going to the game was a cool experience, and it was nice to get around people. Kind of forget how many people in a, a stadium, a professional stadium, can hold because it was limited capacity. But it didn't seem like it was very limited capacity. Just as the most people I've seen in one place for a long time. Uh, my final thoughts would be. I'm I'm nervous. Like the Yankees have me nervous. The good thing about being a Yankees fan is I know that this not this is not the roster that they're going to end the season with. Um, so hopefully they figure out some of the pieces. But if they don't get somebody on their lineup who's a consistent hitter and not just a home run hitter or sure up their pitching rotation, uh, I'm losing faith quickly in how much in that March to championship 28. I'm I'm losing faith fast. Yeah. Nah. Understandable. I mean, it's 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 a slow grind to get to that twenty eight, and I mean, goodness, you guys still have what a fourteen World Series record over the next closest, I believe. Yeah, but it's been since two thousand seven. We didn't get one in the twenty tens. That was the first decade since I think nineteen ten that we didn't win a World Series in a dec in a decade span. Oh no, but you just you know took the whole two thousands as as the first year and the last year of that decade to win a championship. No big deal. No big deal. That 2019 was fun. Hideki Matsui, my hero of that year. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's a good that's a good one to edit out because the the Yankees obviously are a question for you. Um, but for me, my my final thoughts, and I'll I'll say one for Mitch because I think if he were here, he'd probably say the same. Uh, Yerman Mercedes now owns the the longest home run in the season as he continues his hot start. So that's that would along probably be his final thoughts. Along with that bullpen is just absolutely terrifying and not good right now. There have been some jacks this season like yeah. trout hit 460 i think otani's that first one if there wasn't a crowd it probably goes like five something oh yeah that was an absolute rocket that was the game we were calling and i i lost my mind when he hit that because that just did not make physical sense to to, to go that far and that fast and then then to be able to go throw 100 miles an hour in the next half inning yeah oh uh, yeah it's crazy crazy to me i shohei otani is an absolute stud but i'll get to him later on he'll be one of my final thoughts later on this season but Tim LaCastro, if you guys don't know who he is, he plays for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's an outfielder. He just set the record for 20 with his 28th career stolen base on 28 attempts. First player to ever go 100% through 28 still attempts, passing Tim Raines, Hall of Famer Tim Raines, mind you, who stole 27 in a row from 79 to 81. He becomes the first guy to ever do so. And I mean, like, you just look at that. That 20 out of 28 is not easy, especially playing in the NL West. 
I, that's that's definitely not an easy task to do in that division. I mean, you don't you have all these pitchers that are throwing well. You have catchers that can actually throw you out. It's not an easy place to do it. And here he is, twenty eight for twenty eight to start his career. Absolutely fantastic. Tim LaCastro, just a name to watch out for. Um, so now that Billy Hamilton is is kind of dying his way over through Chicago, um, and with the White Sox organization, and and really not able to get successful time. Tim LaCastro might be the next guy. We talk about small ball taking over. He could be a guy at a team who struggles with small ball, Yankees, look towards to potentially help their team in the future. Um, so we'll see how that go- t- turns out for Tim LaCastro. But congratulations to him, setting a record with 28 for 28 on his first 28 stolen base attempts. So that's that's my final thoughts for the week, just giving credit. Where credit is due to a guy that, well, he plays in Arizona, so not many people know about him. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> so, guys – We'll take this time now, let everybody know how to find you like always and what kind of projects you guys are working on. And Jimmy, we'll go ahead and start with you for here. Yeah, you can find me every week on the Far End of the Bench podcast with my co-host, Nico. Uh, We are Wednesdays, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Unhinged Sports Network, and we're available on demand right after that ends. Um, We have YouTube channel that we release clips to. Uh, We just released last week as you're listening to this. We did a far end of the bench invitational, the first annual uh, golf tournament for in honor of the Masters. And there were some good moments. I'm not going to lie. Putting it together yesterday, Nico and I were rolling on the floor with some of the, the way that this sequence worked. We're not good golfers. And that's the second time in my life that I've ever golfed like on a course that wasn't putt-putt and had a dragon at the end of it. So it was an interesting experience. Be sure to go check that out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Far End of the Bench. And subscribe on podcasting platforms. Leave us a review. Uh, as long as it goes with a five-star rating, you can say whatever. But as long as you give us a five-star rating, leave us a review. We'll read it on the air. Um, and then I'm also the host of Two for Chirping that you can hear on the Unhinged Sports Network every Friday. And then when NFL comes back, I'll be the host of Cover 6. But that's pretty much everything that I have going on. Oh, also working with Kelsey on the blogs. we got blogs coming out every weekday, uh, two blogs a weekday, and sometimes more depending on what we get. But we're working on that unhingesn.com. So that's that's everything now. That's that's all my stuff. No, no, no small feat by any means for, for how much you guys do for the network. Obviously, you guys are, are one of the the top obviously well, I gotta say it because you know it is in your guys' contract to be mentioned every time uh, you guys have an episode that they are the reigning number one podcast on the unhinged sports network. I say it this time yeah. and it still makes me cringe, even on the inside, to have to say Thank it. you for fulfilling our writer. Thank you. Now I can come back next week. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Making sure, making sure you're able to come back every week. That's that's the that's the goal, uh, for sure. But Jimmy, we appreciate everything you do for the network, obviously. And guys, definitely go check them out. Far into the bench if you haven't checked them out already. They are absolutely fantastic. They're a Denver-based podcast, so if you want to talk about Denver sports, they know all of the Denver sports very well. And on top of that, Jimmy is a dying Cincinnati fan who just wants some success in Cincinnati, and uh, he might not like the project that DJ and I are working on very much because of what we have mm-hmm. Cincinnati doing. But we'll get to that in a minute. And Jim, what about you, man? How do you, what do you, what are you, what are you working on? How do people find you? Well, I am the host of the JDash show that airs every Monday and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Unhinged Sports Network alongside, alongside my, ho- my co-host, Carlos. Uh, you, you can follow him at Wrestling Movie G. You can follow me at the JDash show. Uh, we're not working on anything big at the moment. We do have some guests coming up in a few weeks. Um, some uh, two, NFL, two not NFL players, uh, two football players, one baseball player to be announced. 
in a later term. So, yeah, we got some great contact for you. Uh, we're going to be pre- reviewing a lot of WrestleMania talk on Monday's show. So you can find us on unhingedsn.com. And, of course, 24-7 coverage on uh, the Unhinged Sports Radio or the Unhinged Sports Network, uh, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Absolutely. If you guys haven't checked out the website already, go do so. That's how you find all of our blogs on there. You find all of our network shows. You can actually click on all of our logos, and it'll take you to our individual link trees or podcast pages as well on Unhinged, uh, Unhinged Network, unhingedsn.com. So definitely go check that out. Um, and Jim, everything as, as always. Obviously, you are the commissioner of the, of the of the network, so we always appreciate what you you do for us. Um, lots of good things in the works, long term for the network. Um, stuff that we'll announce, Huge. you know, stuff that we'll announce later on down the road. Uh, once the time is right, if you will. Uh, but for myself, Kelsey, I work. I'm over at High Low Sports, and I work with DJ as my co-host. And man, this month has absolutely been slammed for us. We are preparing for the NFL draft at the end of the month, so we are giving you our draft extravaganza. Every week, we are currently two week or two weeks in, so that means we have already done your AFC NFC West and AFC NFC South or NFC North predictions for what they're doing in the draft. If Jimmy tuned in, he probably didn't like so much have what we had had predicted for the Bengals. Um, as I mentioned, we have them potentially trading back and still somehow getting three offensive linemen out of the whole deal and Jamar Chase, um, or taking Rashawn Slater or Panay Sewell. We have a whole discussion about who we prefer more on that one. So. That was a very interesting one. Jimmy, how'd you, how'd you feel about that? I want my Samoan King to hold down the side of my offensive line. That dude, uh, I started, I mean, looking into him more, his background is even more incredible. Uh, his family moved from American Samoa. They were living on the floor of an apartment. And now he's got the chance to be the top offensive lineman drafted. And he should be. He's, he did some crazy things in college. And everything that I've seen, like I, I, I was hesitant when Nelson was getting drafted that you can't, can't take a guard at three. I'm done with that. I'm an offensive lineman at heart. I know when I see a good offensive lineman, uh, Penny Sewell is that offensive lineman. Yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely like Penny Sewell. Um, uh, but you know, we we'll get into that one in a minute. Uh, one of the big things we're working on as well is our big board for the draft, which we'll be releasing on the 19th. We actually will have a whole blog about it. Uh, DJ's been working hard on that one. That'll be our high-low sports big board, and you'll be able to check out our rankings on all the players. And then at the end of the month, we have the big one, the NFL draft itself. We will actually be on location, and we will actually be live streaming through ColorCast the first round of the draft. So we can't wait for that. That is going to be Same awesome. here. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with that one, and we'll let you guys know. And uh, if you guys want to check us out, Twitter, at high underscore low underscore sports. And you can check us out every Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, on the Unhinged Sports Network, which, by the way, precedes this show at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We air on Thursday afternoons for our premiere episode. And then after that, I'm going to go ahead and tell Mitch he's at Dorm Room Dispute. They appear right after that at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday. So from Thursday from 2 to 6 p.m., we expect you to be tuned in right here on the Unhinged Sports Network. 6 p.m. is our replay, too. So we're all over the network that day. 2 to 8 p.m., guys. You're stuck on the network. I'm sorry. This is just... It it has to happen. 2 a.m. I have spoken. This is the way you will have to follow through on the rules. uh, Oh, it's Thursday. No, I don't have a show on Thursday. Damn it. Nobody cares about (laughs) you guys' show. That's okay. Okay. All right. (laughs) Ooh. Ooh. Score. Uh, I love you guys' show. As long as you don't don't get on a rant about New York. It's always a good time. 
but you always get on a rant about New York, so it's never a good time. Start spreading the news. So on that note, guys, we're going to let Jim get into his Seven Shades of Brady moment for the rest of the afternoon. And we will let you guys go. And until next week, we'll see you.